0: Welcome to the New Thinking Podcast from the Center for Court Innovation. I'm Matt Watkins and today we've taken the podcast to Crown Heights in central Brooklyn. Like the rest of New York City, Crown Heights has seen a lot less crime in recent years. But violence can still permeate daily life here, especially for young men of color in what has traditionally been a black and African-American neighborhood. That violence leads to trauma and that trauma can lead to involvement with the justice system. It's those connections I want to learn more about, so I've come today to visit a program we operate called Make It Happen. It's crafted its own innovative approach to working with young men in Crown Heights affected by violence. Hey, how's it
1: going, Carlos? Matthew. Nice to meet you.
0: First up, we're going to hear from two participants in the program, Sean Murray and Kyle Leacock. You'll hear them refer to Kenton and Sean in their answers. That's Kenton Kirby and Sean Dever-Till, the two social workers who run Make It Happen. In the second half of the show, I'll sit down with them to talk about trauma and the impetus behind Make It Happen. But first, I asked Sean Murray, a 6-year veteran of the program, if he could think back to what initially got him involved.
2: I used to play around at school and I didn't like to go to school and stuff like I used to um chill in the hallways, not really focusing in class and my teachers thought like that I was disruptive you know thought I was a a troubled youth you know so here comes Kenton like hey we got a safe haven for you you know you could come talk to me you know I dubbed him the first time I ignored him and um he came back again just popped up in my life so I said I'll just go he's like come um, come to the PAL I'm having this men's group meeting tonight you should just pull up you know we're having pizza so I said I'll go you know I end up going and it was a cool chill place you know I got to Relax, vent, no, let people know how I was feeling and all that, and eat free pizza, so.
0: Was it hard, like, letting people know how you're feeling, for example?
2: The way I grew up, yeah, like, I don't like telling people my feelings. I just close up, and, like, I boil everything up, and I usually explode. But, like, Ken showed me, like, it's better to just vent and let people know, like, how you feel, and, you know, talk amongst each other, you know, so we can all communicate and see, like, everybody ends up feeling the same way sometimes and how we can fix that solution, how we can fix that problem.
0: Kyle, you've been... Part of making it happen for a little more than a year, yeah, almost close to a year. Yeah, close to a year. So you've been doing this for close to a year now. <laughs> How about your story? What What brought you into this program?
3: Cause uh, like um, I wasn't like cooperating with my program, like they sent. Cause like I got in trouble with the law for me, and then after that, they sent me to. I got a pro. I got accepted to a program after that, I did a little bit of time for me. Then I came. They they told me about this program. I'm like, oh, I didn't want to go go to that program at first. I'm like, damn, well, I got to go to another program. That's too much. Then when I went, I felt like it was a good space where I could, like, be myself. I could talk to people. Like, they would, they would treat you like your family. Everybody would say, what up to you? If you come in on a bad day, they'll try to make sure, like, you good. So, I'm, yeah, I like people that motivate me, like that type of
0: energy. So, what, what's different about the space here than from, from outside of it? Yeah, normally,
3: like, I don't really get, a, like, the space to, like, be myself. Like, outside, like, you got to be, like, somebody that nobody going to want to play with. But like in here, like you can let all that bad energy go and like focus on yourself. And you can really know what you really need, like. Are there aspects of the program that are tough? Like they work with you through everything. Like it don't matter what the situation is, they gonna work with you. Sean came to my core dates, all of that. Came to my other programs just to see me, just to make sure like we get that conversation in. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, they other people don't do outside,
2: man. Like they they will hit you up and let you know, like, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. Are you doing all right? Like, especially if you come to them with a problem, and after you come to them with that problem, and they haven't seen you in a minute, you know, they're definitely hitting you up, making sure that you're okay, make sure your situation's all right. You know, asking you if you need to come in. They like if you come in, you hungry? You come in, you ask. You know, they they got you. They make sure that you're good. They they're family.
0: <laughs> Was it easy to trust
3: these guys? It was a little hard, like trusting, like Sean, like cause he was like, I don't, like basically, I, I'm your mentor. I like, I, we talk, like you could tell me your problems and all that, like we could talk about your case. I won't tell like nobody. I'm like, mm hmm, I don't believe that. But then uh, as it go on, I started like getting comfortable talking and like, him, I, I tell him a lot of problems, like mad problems, and he just listened, and You still remember them. That's the best thing about them. Like you would talk to them about your problem, next session, next three sessions they're still bringing up, they're like, yeah, you, you good on that? And when they're listening, that means they respect me, because for me, they're listening to what I got to say.
0: What do you guys find is more helpful? Like a kind of one-on-one talk with Kenton or Sean? Or as I understand it, you guys also do group work?
2: Both of them is actually helping. Like, the one-on-one conversations is, like, if you have personal problems that you don't want to spread around, like, to the whole group, you don't want anybody else in your business, you know? You just want to talk to them about a personal issue that you have. You understand? But, like, a problem that you have that you want the group to know about, too, you know what I'm saying? Everybody gives advice. Everybody. Like, everybody will put their two cents in and let you know, like, hey, this is how you go about the situation. This is how you fix it. This This is how you handle that, you know? And, like, you leave with a new knowledge and you try to, like, fix the situation that you're in or you try to handle your problems. Is there anything else
3: you guys want to say? Yeah. yeah, I just remembered. Not that he said that, we built something in Broward Park. I never did none of that before. Like they gave me a new experience every time I walk past that park, drive past that park, ride past that park, whatever. I say I did that. <laughs> me, we did that. I was. I'm in the program. We did that. And wait, so can you describe it? What What did you build? The um, the art is like art, like is shining off like the sun. Like when the sun hit it it's like a different color is coming out. Like it's, you got to go past that to see. Once you, once you drive past, you're going to like,
0: oh, I know what you're talking about. So that was Kyle Leacock, and you can see a picture of the artwork Kyle was referring to on the page for this episode on our website. We also heard from Sean Murray. Next up, I spoke with the coordinators of Make It Happen, Kenton Kirby and Sean Dever-Till. Kenton is also the director of clinical and trauma support services at the Crown Heights Community Mediation Center. So I started by asking him to explain trauma, both in a clinical sense and in the daily lives of the young men he works with.
4: When when I'm thinking about trauma uh, from a very broad sense, I look at it as something something that's happened that has a negative impact on someone moving forward. So I always say, what happened to you today is going to impact you for the rest of your life. Not coming from a lens of oh you're troubled, you're problematic, you're a problem now. It's just that acknowledging that the experiences across the life life trajectory um, is impacted by the experiences that you have. Especially the work that we do, specifically working with young men of color, we have to acknowledge that there are individual incidents that take place that are, that can impact our these young men, but also the historical trauma that that's happened with uh, in communities of color. You know, we have to acknowledge the community trauma. We have to literally understand how also racism and white supremacy also plays a role in um, trauma reactions, and how a lot of times uh, the trauma reactions that we're seeing out in our communities are misrepresented. Represented not as trauma Trump reactions, but as in fact criminal behavior, uh, adverse behavior, as opposed to someone who needs help and needs needs support. So I mean, I can we can talk about how like the brain operates when experiencing a traumatic experience, especially when you layer on top of the. On a, norm, a brain that's normally developing, uh, layer poverty, layer racism, layer all the historic trauma that's happening in these communities, and then the end result are um, is the stuff that we're seeing out here: higher rates of incarceration in our communities, higher rates of people, uh, specifically men of color, that are in these, that are behind prison walls, that are living with undiagnosed mental health issues, misdiagnosed mental health issues, literally just stigmatized as people who are problems as opposed to people who deserve humanity to heal from whatever experiences that they've had. But at the end of the day, the mental health system that, you know, Sean and I are both clinicians and went to school and have those letters after our names, but we are a part of that system and we have to while tackling trauma, we have to look at it from a wider lens, not just from the stuff that we read in books, and really kind of look critically at the communities that we're working with. And if we see a six foot four black kid with tattoos on his neck and maybe a part of a street organization, we're not just gonna assume, oh, this guy is problematic because he's acting out we're going to look at them and say, okay, what is going on? What is driving that outward behavior? What is there pain behind that? Is there a story? And for us, it's important for us to kind of go into that as opposed to retreating from it and standing behind what we call evidence-based practices and all this theory when, in fact, a lot of that theory and evidence models have not been tested in our own community but some reason been thrown down our necks.
0: Sean, how do you see the trauma that Kenton is talking about specifically playing out in the young men that you're working with?
1: I would say that the the trauma that um, most of the, our participants that I, I would see um, revolves around like a negative experience that has been hard for them to, uh, I guess, cope with um, externally or internally, though. While these behaviors could be defense mechanisms for them. So just taking that time, though, and and really reaching out there, and I don't want to say digging, though, though but that's kind of in a way that's what we're doing, though. We're digging, though, to help them process that trauma that they have experienced. When I'm working with our participants, I try to look at those things and where lead where they at, as we say with the social work terms. <laughs> yeah, so that's something that uh, really resonates with um, our participants, I, I would say.
0: So it sounds like the intersection with the criminal justice system happens when you have young men dealing or not dealing with their trauma. It can be misrecognized by the criminal justice system. I mean, as sort of violent behavior. If I got that about right?
4: Yeah, I would say that. I mean, I mean, I'm also about you know people. Let's be honest. You know, people need to be held accountable for uh, their actions. But you know, also, there's also that other end, other other end of the the action, right? I think of you know, I had a young man. We had a young man in his program who was open court case, and while he has court case, he was assaulted. Uh, viciously and unfortunately was left to die. He survived, uh, missed a few court dates, but his first date time back in court, the first thing the judge says was, what did you do to have that happen? That type of language, being shared with someone who was a victim of a crime, imagine if that was a, a rape victim. Imagine if that was a veteran who, was, who got shot when he was in the line of duty, who we honor. We always say things like, thank you for your service." But this young man who may have had a situation that led him to be caught up in the system, his story doesn't matter as much. His life experience outside of the system is less than. He's not. His humanity is not valued. Understanding that, you know, a lot of the acting out that we're seeing, going back back to the uh, to brain development, right, and how how the brain responds to trauma. But then also understand that these young, the people that come through our doors there between ages 16 and 24, and brain development isn't complete at that point, and especially the part of brain development that is around making better decisions, around making decisions. So now you have that very simple kind of disconnect, but then adding all of the other stuff I mentioned before, trying to stay safe out in your community. I mentioned one of the young men uh, that was that you spoke to earlier said that uh, yeah, there's certain things that I can't I can't do certain things outside, and I can't be vulnerable, but I can be vulnerable in this space. That, that lack of, that desire not to be vulnerable out in the community is what's actually keeping them safe. And we have to acknowledge that. And our job here is to give our young men the tools, understand that, to acknowledge that that's their reality, but then also expand that reality and kind of say, listen, there are other ways that we can, that you can navigate the world that you're currently living in, in a way that will definitely get you to a place where you can heal and actually not get caught up in that cycle that that's actually continue to re-traumatize you over and over again.
0: And you guys have a real focus on masculinity, I think, and rethinking ideas about masculinity. So w- w- why that particular focus?
4: A lot of our young men are emotionally stunted. Emotionally stunted in the sense that they don't fully understand their entire emotional experience. So, I mean, I always use the example of a little boy learning how to walk, and he falls. And first thing he does, he looks like looks around, he's getting ready to cry, and everybody says, get up, boy, don't cry. Uh, That's your your blueprint on how you navigate the world. So at that point in your life you're told, boys don't cry, that is not an emotion that you show. But then you add kind of the community expectations of of these young men, adding kind of the systems expectation of our men, on top of adding violence and all those things around, there is no space to let that be seen. There's no space to let sadness or anything beyond anger or quote-unquote, baseline behavior be seen. So you get a kid who's in third grade, and he starts, He gets, he's embarrassed by something, maybe because he's a smelly kid in class, and kids are teach, teasing him, and he says, instead of saying, I'm embarrassed, and understanding what that feels, he throws a chair. Now, the teachers say he's angry, he's oppositional defiant, and then it's, that's when the kind of cycle, that's when it starts, right? So our point here is we really, in our groups, the, the curriculum is focused on helping our young men understand their emotional experience, but also mindful, being mindful of all the world, the world around them and the things that they're faced with. Um, we've had young men who come in here and couldn't even, like, verbalize their anger. They would literally come in and start scratching themselves and I could tell they were upset about something. I could tell there was something going on, but the young man could not put the words out there. And this is a 17-year-old man who has, you know, should be able to do something like that, but he was so stunted in his emotional intelligence, we had to really do a lot of work with him. And now he's to a point where he can actually explain himself a lot much better. Um, he's not there yet fully, but I feel like we all, as men, have a long ways to go when it comes to this. Even us as the the service provider that's really focusing on this. This is our journey too. Uh, we're learning as we're going here also, but it's really important. And we feel that like if we help our young men understand their emotional experience a little better, that'll impact the decisions that they make out in the, in the community when they're faced with adversity.
0: We also have this notion that cities are becoming safer and safer places, but to what extent are the young guys that you're working with, are, are their lives still permeated by violence, Is violent, and violence is a pretty frequent something they're familiar with?
1: Um, I would say yes, because there are um, um, some of the participants that have to navigate where they go every single day just to to feel safe, though. For instance, um, I could think of a participant of ours, which could easily be, let's say, 10 to 15-minute um, travel to our office. It could easily turn into 30 minutes because... Certain places he can't go or he can't walk down a certain block because he understands that if he goes this way, he puts himself in a, a greater risk of I don't want
4: to well just finding himself in a situation though and which you have to avoid though It goes back to there's a thing called assertive community treatment in the mental health world. what it is is you provide. In, intensive in the community therapeutic services to people with severe and pervasive mental illness who historically have, have a history of not following up post-discharge from, from long-term hospitalizations. We're using that same type of thinking in our work. Our focus is really kind of building trust by going out and bringing interventions to them.
0: And just so people have a, a really concrete sense of what Make It Happen consists of and the, the curriculum and the program, could we just run through a few of the, the principal you know, activities and strategies that you guys employ?
4: Make It Happen, we run two types of groups. One of the groups is our masculinity and trauma group, which is a 10-week curriculum that we developed in-house. Then we also have a self-group, which is part of the sanctuary model, and it's an acronym for Safety, Emotions, Loss, and Future. The masculine and Trauma Group is a combination of psycho-ed and processing, and the self-group is really about psychoeducation, education um, helping our young men understand um, their experiences by using this acronym, right? We understand that with trauma work, it's really important to help people understand what they're experiencing. It's important for them to understand, okay, why am I hypervigilant right now? Why am I having a hard time sleeping? And really kind of giving that information to them so we we get that in the self groups. Our individual therapy um, is very eclectic in our approach. Uh, we are, like I said earlier, we're person, very person centered. So we definitely borrow from a number of quote unquote evidence based practices, but we don't follow um, the individual um, EBPs to the letter.
0: We, and, and why not? Because it's important that things be tailored to the community you're working in? Exactly. Because we
4: have, just because we have two 17 year old kids coming through these doors with similar issues on the surface does not mean that the same interaction intervention has to take place and so it's important for us to use those EVPs and the bits and pieces of them to inform the work that's going to be truly person-centered but we also provide case management services and our work and that is actually serious super important because we can't expect our young men to kind of sit here and process their trauma history or whatever it is um, if they don't know whether next meal is gonna be coming from, where they're sleeping that night, where um, keep, where, where they're, if they're gonna be safe going back to their community. So really leading with, okay, let's get these immediate needs met and then coming together with a plan to then get you to a place, okay, let's start now, let's start processing. Um, and also uh, we are, we walk with our clients through the systems that they have to navigate. Um, so a lot of our clients have court cases. So we go to the court with them. And if anyone has ever been inside a courtroom you, stay, you sit around all day, you stand in front of the judge for 30 seconds, a bunch of people are talking around you, about you, and then your attorney's running out, says one or two things to you, and you go, and you have a card that says, oh, come back in six weeks, and you have no idea what just happened. Our job in that space is really to kind of fill in the gaps and kind of help people, help our young men understand what is going on, and then also to be that advocate for them, right? So we write reports, we write letters of support to our um, to the court, and we, unders- we let it be very clear that we're going to highlight all the things that these, all the great things the young men are doing. Because at the end of the day, you will definitely figure out ways to talk about all the things that they're not doing, right? So we're gonna highlight the entire person as opposed to the person that's coming from front of you because of a, an event.
1: Well, I, I guess I could probably add the man in the storm, where I will have um, our participant. I'll have them draw themselves in a the storm. So, for instance, I'll have a participant. He'll he'll draw himself with uh, a big cloud just over him and he has a really really tiny uh, umbrella that's not covering his whole body and he's getting wet and it's only raining on him and as we're having um, more and more sessions I can easily go back to him and, like um, remember the drawing that we did and then I could easily talk about like what exactly, like, why did you do it this way? Or is certain things that I notice in it, um, do you notice it now? So just that's just something that one thing that I see myself utilizing sometimes with our uh, participants, and I think that it, it
0: works well. So that was Sean Dever-Till, and before Sean, you heard from Kenton Kirby. Together they run Make It Happen. That's our program for young men in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, who have been affected by violence. I also want to thank Kyle Leacock and Sean Murray for generously sharing their experiences for today's episode. For more information about Make It Happen, you can visit our website. That's at courtinnovation.org. Kelly Crichton and Rob Wolf provided editing help, and technical support was from Bill Harkins. This has been the New Thinking Podcast from the Center for Court Innovation. I'm Matt Watkins. Thanks for listening.